0: Welcome to Hope Assembly of God online. We believe no matter the journey, there is always hope. This is a recording of our live Sunday sermon, unedited, uncut, real. Scripture is like a nesting doll. Have you seen these? At first glance, it's beautiful in itself, but The deeper you go into it, the more amazing it becomes. And scripture is, because it's God's word, just gets gooder (laughs) as time goes on. This passage I've heard since I was a kid. I've preached on it. I've done Bible studies on it, the whole thing. And yet I still got more out of it this week in preparation because scripture just keeps going, and the more layers you take off, the more beautiful it becomes. And so you can look at scripture and just begin to read the Bible, and it's still amazing. But for those that have been reading God's Word and studying God's Word for any length of time, you, you realize it just gets more and more amazing as time goes on. And that's why I get so excited every week about preaching. I've been studying God's Word seriously, studying God's Word for almost 40 years. Since I was 16 years old, called into the ministry, I preached my first sermon at 16. Uh, my pastor let me preach at 16. That's a man of faith uh, right there. And I uh, was, was leading and teaching youth and all of that. But yet scripture is more amazing to me now than, than ever before. You never get to the, the, to the bottom of scripture. You never get to the end of it. There's always more in there. And because it is God's word, This week we're beginning a new series throughout the summer on the miracles of Jesus in the Gospel of John. And we call these miracles sign miracles because they point us to Jesus. They point us to who He is. And the purpose of the Gospel of John is so that people would know that Jesus is the Son of God. That's the whole purpose of it. So John is different than the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We would call them the synoptic Gospels because they're very similar to each other. John puts a different perspective and tells some of the different stories of Jesus' life that aren't included in the original three Gospels. They're all true. And it works very simply. If there was an accident at that stop sign out there and somebody saw it from Kavanaugh's, somebody saw it from my house, and somebody that was involved in it, we would all have different perspectives, but the same accident just tells the fuller picture. And that's kind of how this is. It gives us a fuller picture of Jesus' life and, and who, who he is. But these seven signs that we're going to look at over the next eight weeks, did you catch that, seven signs in eight weeks? Because there's an ultimate sign that we're going to finish off with, and it won't be on Easter uh, because the resurrection is the ultimate sign of who Jesus is. But these seven signs will point us to Jesus and the reason that he came down from heaven. And the reason he came down was to die that we might be forgiven and to live that we might live forever. And so we break that part of Jesus' purpose or the purpose of Jesus into these two key words forgiven forever. Why don't we say that? Forgiven forever. Why don't the rest of us say it as well? Forgiven forever. That's the purpose of Jesus. That we might be forgiven forever. Forever, So, the first sign that we're going to take a look at what Pastor Joe read, and I, I, I began to realize maybe the error of my way that I was going to allow another preacher to read the Scripture before I got up to preach. So, I thought, Lord, just let him, I'm teasing you, stick to the Scripture. No, no commentary, Pastor Joe. I'll, I'll do that part, and then he can pick up whatever I missed. We had uh, last week, if you were here um, the three preachers on the platform. That was also, That you must have all been terrified, from your perspective. And it was funny when I got excited and wanted to share a last point, and I stood up and started. Pastor Rick moved off to the side. If you notice yeah. that. Uh, funny. A lot of preachers, a lot of preachers. But this first sign is a look at the wedding of Cana where Jesus turned water into wine. Now even those outside of the family of faith know this story. A lot of times they use it to justify uh, their excess uh, of drinking wine. Well Jesus drank wine, He turned water into wine. That's like literally the only passage they know. But what we're going to see today is it's not so much about Jesus turning water into wine. There's something bigger taking place here. There's something greater that we're being pointed to. This is a sign of who Jesus is and what he has come to accomplish. But this is sort of the point of this, the nesting doll idea. Some people know this story on the surface, but we're going to go a little deeper than that this morning and hopefully have more appreciation for this story and what Jesus has accomplished for us. So the next several weeks, we're going to dig deeper into some of these familiar stories and you will know these stories, but we want to take them to the next level, not just the surface reading, but even more even more uh, in that. I want you to, uh, I, we want to go deeper for a couple reasons. I, I, I want you to, to know Jesus more and to know his love for you more. Now watch, I'm not saying I want you to love Jesus more. I want you to know Jesus' love more. And it, it struck me, I was I'm reading, I read through the epistles recently and where Paul prays for the church and he says, my prayer for you is that you would know the love of God. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't pray, oh, that, I would, that, that, that the people would love God more. No, that they would know the love of God more. How high, the height, the depth, the width of God's love. And that's really become my focus on my life and, and hopefully uh, in, in leading and teaching you is that you would know God's love even more. See? And then loving him will come naturally when you experience his love in a deeper and in a greater way. We can fall into traps of, of not fully grasping God's love for us. And that's the areas of life that we struggle in. Okay? Any area that we don't fully appreciate and understand God's love, that's the area we struggle in. Some people will get a bad report from the doctor. And the first response is, why is God punishing me? Well, that could be a first response, but it's the wrong response because God will never punish you. Jesus received all the punishment on the cross. There will never be a moment in your life where you, if you've accepted Christ, will have to receive the punishment of God. That's, it, it won't happen to you. He can use the circumstances of life to shape us and mold us into what He wants us to be. But when you accept Christ, you never have to worry about God's punishment. Because he loves you completely and fully, and you will never bear his wrath, ever. Because if you have to bear his wrath after salvation, then Jesus died in vain. Why did Jesus die? Why did Jesus take the wrath of God upon himself? Why did he become sin if I still have to suffer for my sins? You will not have to suffer for your sins. The consequences of our sins might live on but we won't have to suffer for our sins ever in all of eternity. Oh, that you might know the depth of God's love. And secondly, that you might be able to tell others. Tell them that God loves them. We don't have to be represented by angry people all the time. Now, this Roe versus Wade, or Roe versus Wade didn't sound right to me. I'm thrilled that that was overturned. Thrilled, but I knew all—you know what was going to break loose, you know—and they just find fringe groups that don't speak for us. They find some wacko person, and I watched just a glimpse of the news this morning, just long enough to get my coffee, to put sugar and cream, half and half. By the way, that's how you should drink coffee. But anyway, uh, I'm not trying to tell you what to do. I'm just telling you the right way. Uh, however long it took me to put one, one teaspoon of sugar and, uh, and, and half and half in there, I was already aggravated because I could see the slant of the news instantaneously by the questions that were asked and, and, and all of that. Okay? We, as pro-life, don't hate anyone. I don't hate the women that, that are pregnant unexpectedly. I don't hate women that have had abortions. I don't hate anybody. I just think God has a better way. And, and if, they, if we all, men and women, could grasp the love of God in a greater way, we wouldn't need to go looking for personal intimacy to meet our greatest needs, which really doesn't meet our greatest need. So here we are as a church at a pivotal point, the church, at a pivotal point where we have the opportunity to share the love of God. And not through the national news media, because that's never going to happen, but by every means that God has given us to share the love of God. Maybe you'll hear someone in a, in a, in a, in a, in a conversation say, well, Jesus turned water into wine. Well, you know what? There's even a greater story behind that story. Can I tell you? Jesus loves us. Well, I can't preach the whole sermon now, but we can tell others. That's what we're called to do. We need to stay in our lane, and our lane is the gospel. The gospel. Love. Support. Light a candle. You know, do something. Don't be angry. Angry at the devil, but we're not angry at everybody else. I'm not. All right, I'll tell you this. It's a secret. The less news you watch, the happier you'll be. and the more news you watch, the angrier you'll be. I just wanted a cup of coffee and I got angry. I turned it off and sipped my coffee, and I felt better. better. All right. So we pick up Jesus' life. He had already been baptized. Which John doesn't, uh, you know, deal a lot with. He had already been tempted, and he had already been going about in ministry, in ministry, and it came time that there was a wedding, and Jesus was invited. Isn't that neat? Jesus was invited to this wedding, and he went. Talk about having a full schedule. I have three years to accomplish the purposes of my Father that will change humanity and billions will be saved by me accomplishing what the Father wants to do. Talk about a busy schedule. But Jesus took time to go to this wedding and to be a part of this wedding. One person said, Jesus' life is the most profound statement ever made against joyless spirituality. I hate joyless Christianity. Because I'm, I'm thinking we're missing the joy and the Christianity. I think that joyless Christianity is kind of an oxymoron, that if we are truly a Christian then our life should be characterized by joy. Now let me draw the distinction, joy is not silliness in the midst of sorrow and suffering, But joy is this understanding that I have a God that loves me completely. He's not against me. He's for me. He's going to see me through. And my best days are ahead because someday I'll be in heaven with him forever. That's joy. It's not silliness. It's it's deeper than that. It's deeper than that. I, I do not like... I don't hate them I don't hate anybody but I would choose not to spend time if I didn't have to with joyless Christians and I think that's why one of the things that makes our church special is because we're joyful people and when I preach I preach hard and I preach with passion because I'm passionate about this stuff but when I eat I also eat with passion, and and when we throw cornhole, and and I I, I that brings joy, and I, I I think when when we were playing cornhole in that tournament with the men, I I think God was glorified by that. I'm not sure it was His absolute will that Robbie and Bobby won. <laughs> I, I feel that I feel that He was just using cornhole. As a, as a test of our spirituality on whether we will allow them to win again, okay? But why isn't cornhole for the glory of God? I don't characterize my life while well, I'm in church, and now I'm at a bonfire. Or No, everything in life is, is part of glorifying God. And joy and eating chicken wings, rubbing the sauce on my sleeve and throwing it into the bonfire to the glory of God. Joyless Christianity is really no Christianity at all. And I believe Jesus laughed. I believe he told jokes. And I'll tell you why. Because every human has a sense of humor. Not all of them good. Okay. But we all laugh. Does that come from the devil? No. Watch this. I I really have a theological point here, honestly. We're created in the image of God. Who has more joy than God? God in three persons is filled with joy. And so he created us to be like that. Sin broke that. But yet joy is our destiny for all eternity. And once in a while he gives us a glimpse of that joy here on earth. See? All right. Let me keep going. Cana was in his home area where Jesus was located. He probably knew the couple. Remember, Jesus just grew up 30 years old in a small town, in a small area, working a job. Okay? Um, was it, most of us you know, have been taught he was a carpenter. They're now saying he might have been a, like a stone worker because there wasn't a lot of wood. Near. You, know what, you know what I think about that? Who cares? That's what I think. I don't think about it at all. Because it doesn't matter in the story. But he worked a regular job. He cared for his mom for 30 years. And so he probably knew the couple. Now, we know his mom was somehow involved in the proceedings. And you know how? Because she had the inside scoop. It was this. She was on the prayer chain of her church. (laughs) She had the inside scoop that no one else had. Because she knew there was no wine. Now, they didn't go in that that time and say, hey, we've run out of wine. Party's over. Because that would have been a disgrace to them. But she knew they had no wine. So she was on the inside. And and she knew that that just couldn't happen. Running out of wine at a celebration like that would be us running out of rigatoni at the 100th anniversary dinner. And by us, I mean me. An Italian pastor, full-blooded Italian, born and raised at the kitchen table. My mother put sauce in my bottle. I mean, that's what it was like. That's how Italian I am. And I said, Lord, I need somebody that's going to make sure we don't run out of pasta. We're inviting friends of the church, families of the church, former pastors. I need somebody, Lord, just going to make sure that we don't run out of pasta. And the Lord said, Pete and Lucy, Bruno, they're my instrument for blessing. And they came and they prepared rigatoni, sauce, and meatballs to perfection, to the glory of God. <laughs> Amen? Amen? And if you missed that anniversary dinner, you missed it because it was something special. And not only did we have enough, we had more than enough for the glory of God. i tell you a funny story. Uh jenna's not here jenna's little daughter casey she's nine and they're neighbors with dave and uh, uh, dave swanson and so i had made this thing about one meatball because we weren't sure how many people and all of that remember i said you can have rigatoni and a meatball, the ball not a meatballs, the balls a meet the ball but we had plenty plenty it didn't matter didn't matter she comes up to me and she goes pastor pastor come here i said what she goes Dave had two meatballs. She she couldn't wait to tattle on him. Uh, So that was funny uh, in that. But, But running out of wine would have been like an Italian pastor of a formerly Italian church running out of pasta on its 100th anniversary. That's a disgrace. You would have already met and chosen people to be on the pulpit committee. I would be somewhere else at this point. You would have a new pastor at this point in the history if we had run out of rigatoni. But we didn't. We didn't. But the wine was an issue, and Mary said to Jesus, They have no more wine. And here's a serious part. And he says, When it says woman, and we're used to saying it like that, it was a respectful thing. Okay? Uh, the hour has not yet come, or the New Living Translation says, My time has not yet come. Now, everywhere in the gospel that the word is time, or the word is hour in the Gospel of John, it always speaks to his crucifixion, every time. When it says the hour has come, it's about his crucifixion. So even in his first, watch, even in his first sign miracle, he was pointing to his ultimate purpose, which was to die on the cross for the forgiveness of many. not that interesting? He took this ceremony to a whole nother level. And he was going to use this opportunity to reveal a glimpse of his glory that people might believe that he is who he says he is. The son of God come down from heaven to accomplish the Father's purposes. Jesus was not thinking of wine. He was thinking of the crucifixion. But he was going to use this miracle to point people towards himself. So Mary says, after that, do whatever he tells you. Jesus said, fill the jars, then take it to the master of the ceremony. And so the master of the ceremony tasted it. And what, what did he say? You know the story. What? You save the best for last. Most people at weddings, they serve their best wine first. And then after everybody's had enough, they bring out the cheap stuff. But you, you're serving the best last. Okay. So, what did they fill up with water? But what were they used for? Ceremonial rituals. Now, catch this this is your first deeper look into this. Jesus took what used to be used as religion that was unfulfilling and empty, and he filled it with something that was fulfilling to overflowing that was better than anything they'd ever experienced before. All the people, let's say in Judaism, they knew the rituals of the ceremonial washing, but they didn't know a relationship with Almighty God through Jesus Christ, His Son. Jesus took that which was empty, which was the old rituals, and He filled them Oh, I'm going to give it away, with Himself. Through this sign, Jesus' glory was revealed. He showed them who he really was. The disciples believed at this moment. All right, let's take a deeper look. First of all, Jesus came to meet our greatest need, and it's not for wine. It's for salvation. Jesus came to meet our greatest need, and it's not for wine. It's for salvation. In fact, sometimes sometimes wine is used, and I'm not getting into whether you should drink wine or not. That's a conscious decision, a conscience decision decision for you Uh, but it's not about wine it's about salvation and the forgiveness of sins jesus came to meet our greatest need was which is a restoration of a relationship to the father that was broken through sin that's our greatest need this story is not about wine it's about jesus see it's about jesus And he came to offer himself, watch this, to pour himself out, just like this wine was poured out. See, he's dealing with things on a whole other level. And I think John didn't get it at the moment. He saw the miracle and believed, but he didn't get it. This is the last gospel written, maybe 60 years after all of this happened. So you have old man John that has spent 60 years reflecting on his walk with God. And he goes back through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I get all of that. And he thinks about the wedding at Canaan. He goes, oh, it's not about the wine. It's about Jesus. Wait a second. The feeding of the 5,000? It's not about the bread. It's the Jesus is the bread. The healing of the... The lame man in chapter 5, it's not about the lame. It's not about helping ourselves. It's about helping those that can't help themselves. Now I get it. It's not about the woman that committed adultery in John chapter 8. It's about all of us have committed spiritual adultery and Jesus wants to restore all of us. It's not about the man that was born blind in John chapter 9. It's about all of us were born blind and we need to see the things of God. It's not about Lazarus in chapter 11 being raised from the dead. It's this understanding we were all dead in our trespasses and sins and Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Can you imagine this coming to John? It's coming to you now and you're excited. Jesus came to meet our greatest need. The old way of keeping rules and regulations wasn't going to save anyone. The law was good for what it was, but the law never saved anyone. The law only showed us that we were sinners. Okay, That's why the Old Testament laws had to be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. No human could fulfill those laws. And so Christianity is not about keeping God's law. It's about receiving what Christ has done on the cross. And then we want to live for him because of his great love for us. But don't get it backwards. The law, let's call it the Ten Commandments, came after they were delivered from Egypt, not before He didn't deliver them from Egypt because they earned it, because they kept all of his commands. He delivered them from Egypt because of his grace. And then he said, If you want to follow me, here's how to do it. See? He didn't save us because we follow the Ten Commandments. Our inability to follow the Ten Commandments proves that we need a Savior. Don't get it mixed up. Don't think that you have to do this in order for God to do this. Instead, understand God did it for you. And now we do these things because we love Him and He loves us and we want to live for Him. I'm going to explain Leviticus to you right now because I just feel it. Y'all have started reading the Scriptures every January. I'm going to read all the way through the Scriptures this year. And you get through Genesis and you're thinking, it's pretty good, some good stories in there and all this stuff. Genesis, Exodus, oh, they're delivered and all this stuff. Genesis, Exodus. And we're like, uh-huh. New Testament, New Testament. and get to the New Testament. He had delivered His people in Exodus, salvation, To maintain that relationship, they had to carry out all these laws that we don't understand. That's what Leviticus is. It's an explanation of maintaining that relationship to God that we're unable to keep. Even Leviticus points us to the Lord because he kept all of the law, fulfilled the law, died in our place that we might be saved. And all God's people said, now I understand Leviticus. I never understood it. Well, now you do. Now you do. Jesus came to meet our greatest need. He fulfilled the old rituals and regulations that only pointed to our sin but didn't forgive our sin. Here's the next point. When our schedule is full but our life is empty, Jesus has come to fill you up. I don't know where we got this from, but we we somehow gain um, fulfillment and affirmation by how busy our schedules are oh, I'm just so busy, just so busy. I'm sorry. To me, that's kind of sad. I'm too busy for the things that really matter. It's kind of sad. I don't have time to do that because I'm so busy, 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 busy. Maybe God instituted the Sabbath, maybe, that we wouldn't be so busy all the time, that we would be refreshed enough to focus on the things that truly matter, maybe. I think it's an American thing to be busy all the time. I want to go back to siestas and festivals. Let me speak to the men here today. This is important that you catch this. God created men to nap. Amen. When did Eve appear on the scene? None of you women would be here if man hadn't taken a nap. (laughs) And all you men are afraid to to say amen. And now, I'm not going to say the next part. I'm not afraid, but I'm not crazy. If you want to know it, I'll tell you later, another time. Anyway. Anyway. When our schedule is full, but our life is empty, Jesus has come. He's come to take our empty lives that are so busy, but so empty. And he's come to give us himself. And it's only through him that we will find our purpose. It's only through him that our destiny will be fulfilled. Your purpose is not to work to make money. Your purpose is to glorify Jesus. And by God's grace, he gives us a job and money that we can live and we can bless others. Your purpose is not to accumulate. Your purpose is to acknowledge him. I'm not saying don't save, don't invest. I'm not saying be stupid. I'm saying that's not your purpose. Have enough so that you can bless others. And you know what it's like when you're able to help someone. What does it give you? Joy because that's the image of God in you because God is a generous God. God is not a stingy God. How much wine did he make? I, you know what, I didn't look into it. Somebody look it up. How many, how many gallons did those, those jugs hold? 20 gallons, 20 or 30, and how many were there? Six times 30 is what? He made 180 gallons of wine at the end of the wedding. God's a God of more than enough. God's a God of overflowing. God's a God that can take your empty life and pour his life into you and fulfill your purpose and your destiny. But when you pursue the things of the world, you'll never find what you're looking for because at the end of the day, it'll be empty. You'll have a full schedule, maybe even a full bank account, and you'll be empty because only Jesus can meet that greatest need. This story is not about Jesus turning water into wine. This story is about Jesus is the wine. He's the one we're looking for. He's the one that meets our greatest need. Next, he's the best. Right? Save the best for last. He's the best and there is no other. If someone is truly the best then there can be no one higher. And Jesus is the best. There's no one better. There's no philosopher philosophy. There's no other prophet, no other religious leader, no other person, no other uh, religion that's greater than Jesus. He is above all and over all because he's the best. And there's no one that can compare to him. He is the wine in that he is the cause of celebration. Why do we celebrate? Why do we have joy? Listen, if I could go from person to person, and i only catch a couple of you, but I know all of these people well enough right in this circle, from Penny and Linda over here to this, to say you've had enough difficulties in your life that you might should never smile again if it wasn't for Jesus. Am I right? I know all of you well enough to know. You've been through some stuff. But the reason you have joy is because you have Jesus. See? And it's true. I could go, all of you, just go from person to person. I know your stories. I know your trials, troubles, and tears. But I also know the difference Jesus has made in your life. And that we celebrate him and we have joy in our life, not because we don't have any problems. It's because we have a Savior that has loved us through it and continues to love us that's why we have joy." So, here he was at the wedding. Now, I know something about weddings. I didn't think of it until this morning when I was preaching online. I performed weddings before I was even married. I forgot about that. Quite a few. I had this one wedding one time I was doing for a, it was the mother of one of our youth. They asked me, yeah, no problem, a small little wedding. And they wanted to receive communion as their first act of marriage, and I had it written in there as their first act of marriage. And we had this little kneeling stool at the church I was in. I was a youth pastor, and you would kneel down. And I realized at that moment I never got the communion emblems because I was the one responsible to get it, and I never got it. So I said, their first act as a married couple, they'd like to receive communion. And I went, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. So we went over there and... We just pretended. I don't know if that was bad or not, but it—you know my early 20s, that was the best I could come up with. We'll just, just pretend, and I'll pray, and we'll ask God's blessing on you. So I have done weddings before I was married, and then I was married, and that was a new perspective. And, and, and my brother Jim performed the ceremony, and he'll never watch this. So I can say it, Dory's brother, who was 16 at the time, some of you met him at the wedding, passed out. He locked his legs and got nervous and, and passed out, 16 years. And we had at that church in Flemington, New Jersey, the baby grand piano with the, the flapper up. Not the flapper. The lid on the wood thing. I'm like an engineer. Did you catch that? that you know, the, the, fla- the, the, the thing. He hits it and it falls and bang. We had EMTs and different people. They all came running. Poor Dor was obviously very upset at my brother and not knowing what was going on. Finally, we get things settled back down. Of course, my brother stepped up and sang a course, being a good Assembly of God minister that he is. Led everybody in a course. If he was a better Assembly of God minister, he'd have taken an offering. But he led in a course. <laughs> we get back up there, and he goes, well, you, you want to keep going? And I said... Yeah, you're darn right we want to keep going. <laughs> so, I had married people, and then I was, I was married. And I've done many, many uh, wedding ceremonies from there. But a couple weeks ago, my perspective changed all over again. Because now it was my daughter. And I had to walk her down the aisle. And Pastor Joe, who did a beautiful job, I mean this sincerely, on the ceremony, uh, he said, who gives this woman to be married to this man? And I've said that a thousand times to somebody else. And I wanted to say, well, I'm still thinking about it. (laughs) That's what I wanted to say. But I said her mother and I, and we're thrilled and and all of that, which is the larger point. Now I see marriages and weddings from a different perspective. And so we all know that I'm a crier. Just a couple weeks ago, before I sang that song, I was bawling my eyes out. I just cry at a lot of different things. I cried leading up to Lindsay's wedding, but the day of her wedding, I shed no tears And I'm going to explain to you why, and this is important. Because I was so overwhelmed with joy, there was nothing to cry about. And I couldn't help but think this week, Jesus being the joy, the wine of our lives, and that what he has in store for us in heaven is that someday he will wipe all of the tears from our eyes. And it's not because he has an endless supply of tissues, it's because he has an endless supply of joy. That's what he has in store for you. He's saying through this, if you think this wedding is awesome, wait till the marriage supper of the Lamb. If you think the celebration of this couple is amazing, wait till we celebrate the bride of Christ entering into heaven, clothed in white, the purity of Jesus Christ. Wait till that celebration. See, there'll be no more sorrow in heaven, not just because the old things have passed away, but this joy will be so complete and so overwhelming, there'll be no need for tears. That's what Jesus has in store for us. And all God's people said... So now what? I gave you the what. Now I'm going to give you the the now what. How do we receive this? First, you have to admit the problem. Mary, who was on the inside, admitted the problem. She didn't hide it. She didn't ignore it. She admitted the problem. For you to be saved, admit that you're a sinner and that you have a problem and your biggest problem is sin, and that you don't have a relationship with God because of sin. You want to, but you have to admit it first. Mary admitted it. But the second thing she did was just as, or maybe more important, she went to the only person that could do anything about it, and the only person that can do anything about your life, about sin. And even after salvation, the only person that can do anything about your life is Jesus. She admitted the need and she went to the only person that can help. There's no self-help book that you're going to read that will transform your life the way Jesus can. There's no friend that's been through whatever that can transform your life the way Jesus can. There's no TV guru, I don't know, that can touch your life the way Jesus can. Oh, but he can. Oh, that he can, and he will, and he wants to, and he's waiting for you. The servants did as they were told. I was talking to my dear friend this week. Many of you know him. His name is Dale Arthur. Dale and Monica live in Tampa now. They moved, and they're doing great told them when they went down there, I said, they grow them churches big down south, Florida in particular. Highest percentage of mega churches are in Florida. I don't know why, I'm just, my my point to them was don't go to such a church so big that you're gonna get lost in the crowd. Find somewhere where you can be involved and God will use your gifts. So they found a huge church that had campuses and they settled in a smaller campus and they're involved in Bible study, they're involved in marriage uh, enrichment they're involved in teaching and training other people because of what they've been through and how God helped them through all of that. I said, Dale, this, you, don't, you don't even know how happy this makes me and the joy that it gives me. And I'm working on this sermon when he called me. And uh, the, the joy that he gives me, he said, you know what? I've been saved. I've been saved for a long time, but I never fully surrendered to Jesus. And when I fully surrendered to Jesus, that's when I found the joy. That's what I'm talking about. He didn't even know I was preaching on this. I probably didn't even have it all together at that point. Surrender. The servants did what Jesus told them to do. Because you ain't going to get what Jesus has for you until you surrender every area of your life. And that very thing that you refuse to surrender to him is the very thing that's stealing your joy. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to Jesus I surrender. I (coughs) surrender all. And now what? The guests enjoyed the blessing. God's not against you, he's for you, he wants to bless you, he wants you to receive every good gift that he has for you, and he's the best gift of all, and what comes from that is a much better life than anything that we've tried on our own, anything religion offers, anything the world offers, what he offers is himself. The story of the wedding of Cana is not that Jesus turned water into wine, the story of the wedding of Cana, is that Jesus is the wine. Let's pray. Ray, I pray, Lord, now in the name of Jesus, because my words have no authority in their own. I pray in the authority and in the name of Jesus that bondages would be broken, that hearts would be healed, that diseases would be uh, delivered, and that you would reveal yourself to each person here, and not just to us as an assembly, but Lord, you would reveal yourself to each person in a new and in a powerful way. It's as if we've had this nesting doll in our heart and, and we're just taking off the first level and then the next level, and you just keep touching other areas of our heart and other areas of our lives, the hurts, the shame, the fear, the doubt. We surrender all of those things to you today. Fill us. We're those empty jars with great potential, but we're empty. Fill us, fill us, fill us with you, Lord Jesus, we ask. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We admit our need to you. For some, it's salvation. For others, it's whatever that pressing problem is upon their heart. We admit it to you and we come only to you. Only to you because you're the only one. I find it insightful that Mary didn't go to any other disciple. (laughs) They were all there. She went right to the source. We come right to you today, Lord Jesus. We acknowledge our need. We We need you. We need you, Lord. And we stop as well and just say thank you for the cross. That even at this wedding, you were thinking of your ultimate purpose. Even at this celebration, you were thinking... Uh, the greater joy that would come through death on the cross. We celebrate you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Hope Online Podcast. For more information about Hope Assembly of God, go to www.godgivesyouhope.com or download our app in the App Store.